Well, hello everyone. It is uh, great to welcome you all to our service. How amazing is this? Uh, my name's Ian. I became the minister of this church 10 years ago. And um, at that point, there were only less than 10 members in the church. I know, because I was there. And my, me and my wife were two of them. So, um, so it, it is really good to welcome you all to see so many people here. Uh, we're renting this beautiful church. Um, partly because our own building is too small for us now and we're very thankful it's a beautiful venue for a carol service as well I'm sure you agree so we're very thankful to be here for our carol service this year I know some of you are visitors so let me explain for a moment what we've been doing during December our Christmas theme this year has been this changes everything and you can see from the picture, it's on the front of the program as well, that the this is the birth of Jesus Christ into the world 2,000 years ago. And I suppose we're making the bold claim that the birth of Christ is the most significant event in human history. You could play a game over Christmas by debating this question, if you're this way inclined. If you could invite for Christmas dinner to your house the three people you believe have influenced human history the most, who would make the cut for you? The three people in the whole of human history who, who have influenced human history the most. It might actually be difficult to find two people who agree on that. But um, there's a famous university in America called MIT, and their media department recently ran a project called Pantheon. You can look it up online. And they tried to answer this question scientifically. I, I don't know how they do it, but they ranked historical figures using various criteria, and they came up with a list of the most influential humans in history. And Jesus Christ was number three so at least he got a Christmas dinner <laughs> if they were invited the three most influential people you could ask me afterwards who the first two were but anyway in December anyway we have been thinking about this question and in the first two talks we were suggesting that the birth of Jesus changed everything first of all because he brings light in our darkness Last week we were thinking about the fact that the birth of Christ changed everything because he brings comfort in our pain. And this uh, week, this is the third talk. I, I should say, by the way, that all the talks we do in our church are posted up on our website, so if ever you want to listen, you can tune in there. Today is the third talk in this mini-series, and I want to explore with you just for a few minutes how the birth of Christ changes everything because he brings peace in our conflict. That's our theme. Jesus was born to bring peace in our conflict. I, I, don't th I was thinking about this. I don't think I need to spend any time at all demonstrating that the world we live in is a place that is filled often with conflict. I'm sure you'd agree. I could have spent 10 minutes trying to prove that. I, I, I don't think I need to do that. We know it in our world. We know it often much closer to home, I think, in our workplaces. 
often in our families and friendships. Uh, personally, I often feel it in my own heart, and sometimes I think I could fall out with myself if there was no one else there sometimes. Conflict is all around us. Sometimes we often find that it's even there within us. I came across this quote this week. A Chinese philosopher said this 400 years before Jesus was born. If there is to be peace in the world, there must be peace in the nations. If there is to be peace in the nations, there must be peace in the cities. If there is to be peace in the cities, there must be peace between neighbours. If there is to be peace between neighbours, there must be peace in the home. And if there's to be peace in the home, there must be peace in the heart. I, I think we all want peace in the world, don't we? But there never can be peace in the world until there's peace somehow in our own hearts. And that's true. This afternoon I want to show you some words of Jesus that are recorded for us in the Gospel of Mark. And this is not a traditional Christmas verse, but I'm sure I agree, it, it maybe should be, because it explains why Jesus came into the world. Hopefully it will appear on the screen. There we go. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, this is, Because even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is Jesus speaking these words in Mark's Gospel. And you can probably tell, reading that sentence, that something has happened before Jesus says this. When I was at school in English, they always said, don't start a sentence with the word because. Is that still true? I don't know. It was when I was at school, 70 years ago. Because even the Son of Man, this is the punchline after something has happened. And it's actually a surprising incident in the life of Jesus that involved conflict. You may not be aware that Jesus had some close friends. They're often referred to as the 12 disciples. They were pretty ordinary, working men. Two of them were brothers, and Jesus gave them a nickname. When he called them to follow him, he gave them the nickname, the Sons of Thunder. Uh, I mean, what, what do you have to do to get the nickname, the Sons of Thunder? I don't know whether it was their dad who had a temper, or whether they were fiery characters. In my mind's eye, I'm seeing the Mitchell brothers in EastEnders. I'm not a massive fan of EastEnders, but I'm seeing Grant and Phil Mitchell, the Sons of Thunder. That's the nickname Jesus gave them. And these two brothers came to Jesus one day, privately, to ask him a favour. They believed that Jesus would one day be a king. And their ambitions were not small. And these sons of thunder came to Jesus to ask him a favour. Jesus, when you become a king, can one of us sit on your right side and the other one on your left side when you are a king in all your glory? We could really thunder from there. And then, inevitably, 
The other ten find out what they've asked Jesus in secret. And they lose their tempers. They go ballistic. Two of them, there's twelve disciples, two of them secretly scheming behind the scenes because they want personal glory and power and the other ten are like, who do they think they are? Two of the twelve want to dish out the orders, the other ten don't want to take them. Some of them are lusting for power and control and the rest of them are angry and resentful when I wrote that, I think that could describe a lot of modern politics. Two of them were saying, our lives would be complete if only we were in charge. And the rest are saying, over our dead bodies, our lives won't be complete until these idiots get what they deserve. I have to tell you, that the way Mark describes this ugly conflict is one of the reasons why I believe the Gospels are true. Because it doesn't portray the disciples as perfect. There's something quite authentic about them being broken. Reading this part of Mark's Gospel is like watching an episode of The Apprentice. I don't know, how many, how many start that? 16 of them? Here's Jesus' disciples, all 12 of them, falling out with each other over who should have the power and control. Jesus gathers his squabbling, fighting friends together, and in less than 80 words, he nails their problem, and he gives them himself as the solution. In Mark's Gospel, you can read it in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, Jesus starts with the words, You know. I love the way Jesus teaches his friends. The truth is, often, deep down in our hearts, we do know. Jesus isn't giving them rocket science, complicated equations. All he does is shine a light into their conflicted hearts to show them what they already know. Jesus says to them, you know, you know that in this world, bosses love to boss people around. You know that when people get a little power, it can often go to their heads and they love to throw their weight around and dish out the orders. You know how it is in this world. I don't have to tell you what the problem is. And then Jesus says two of the most remarkable things I, I think you could ever hear. First of all, Jesus says to them, four words, not so with you. It isn't going to be like that in this group, Jesus says to his friends. If you want to be great, you have to be a servant. And if by some chance you want to be the greatest, 
you have to be the slave of everyone. Jesus changed the values of the world upside down. This is how the world is, not so with you. If you want to be great, you need to serve. And then secondly, Jesus gives an incredible reason for this, and it's the punchline we talked about. You are not going to be like this. You are not going to be like this. Why? Because even the Son of Man didn't come to be saved, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I love the fact that Jesus uses the word even. Even the Son of Man didn't come to be the big boss. Even the biggest of all the big cheeses isn't like you. I, I think it's fair to say that even all religions are based on the idea that we are somehow meant to serve the gods we worship. And yet here Jesus claims to be the almighty God who has come into the world to serve us. But before we all get puffed up about that, what strikes me here is that he doesn't come to save these men because they deserve it. He doesn't come because of how marvellous they are. He comes to save them because of how broken and mixed up they all are. All they can do is think about themselves and the way they're behaving and squabbling is embarrassing. But here's the thing, it, it seems to me in this chapter that Jesus almost shows them up so that he can pick them up. It's almost like he exposes them so that he can mend them. Jesus loved to refer to himself as the Son of Man. He could have used the phrase, the Son of God. But though he is the Son of God, he wasn't born in a fancy palace. He never had a fancy office with his name on the door. He never went to university. He never ran a company. He never led an army. Actually, he barely even ever left his own neighborhood Though he is the great God, his authority is not a crushing, oppressive, controlling, micromanaging authority. I wonder whether you think it's remarkable that we celebrate the birth of Jesus as a great king. And then we see him later being crucified. What on earth is going on with that? Is, is he a king or is he not a king? The words of Jesus here, I, I think this should be a Christmas verse. 
in the Gospels, the words of Jesus here give us the answer. He came to serve. And Jesus was born to give his life in exchange for ours. His death wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an afterthought. Jesus, Jesus wasn't an unlucky leader who accidentally got himself killed. This great king loves his subjects so much that rather than exploit them like a bad boss would, he takes their place and lays down his life to save theirs. So in our little series this Christmas, our third reason that the birth of Jesus changes everything is that in this way, Christ brings peace into our conflict. These disciples, who I think are just like us, teach us, I think, that our greatest problem is not other people. Our greatest problem, actually, my greatest problem, is what's going on in my own heart. There's a great phrase that's been doing the rounds in recent years amongst Christian believers. I don't, I don't know who coined this phrase, but I think it sums up these, these disciples. I think it sums up the good news of the Christian gospel. So someone coined this phrase, we are more broken than we think we are, and yet we are more loved than we could possibly dare to dream. Those disciples knew that. They were more broken than they thought they were, and yet this Jesus comes to serve them and give his life for them. The message that we seek to preach in our church, it's not something, I didn't make it up. And it's not a message of moralizing people as if we think we're better than other people. The message of the Christian gospel is one of hope because it calls broken people like us to do three things. This Christ, this same Christ, calls us today to agree with God's accurate diagnosis of us. Secondly, to believe in his amazing son, Jesus. And thirdly then, to go out into a world of conflict, not as big cheeses, but as those who humbly love and serve one another. I hope that this Christmas 2017 for you will be a Christmas that might change everything.